Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am, of course, your host, Michael Sherlock. That hasn't changed. I'm still around. You're just going to have to get used to me if you come back to keep listening to this podcast over and over again. And all month long, we are talking to some leadership powerhouses that are helping us to remember some of those important lessons that will help us stay strong, become better leaders, and actually help our teams navigate this new future. Don't tell me we're going back to normal because I don't believe it. We're going to have some new futures. And my guest today is going to tell us how to do this, not only from a different perspective, but really to become a 10Xer at it. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Michael Solomon is an established entrepreneur. He has a strong desire to help people, a sharp eye for business, and a commitment to making a difference. He has uh, founded six organizations, for-profit and non-profit both, and they all share a common goal of improving people's lives. Now, just a couple things that will probably make you really interested to lean in and listen. He began his career working with John Lando Management on several Bruce Springsteen tours. He followed that up by a three-year stint with Epic Records and Sony Music. And at the ripe old, old, old age of 25, his entrepreneurial spirit took over. He's never looked back. And in fact, before he was 30, he co-founded three companies and four slightly after that, you know, that 30 being that really pivotal point in his career. But most recently, he authored and released, yes, during the middle of a pandemic, a book called Game Changer, How to Be the 10X in the Talent Economy. And it reveals the secrets to becoming a 10Xer for anyone in any industry. Now, I'll tell you, his resume includes so many incredibly famous people that he helped manage and market and shape the careers of, like John Mayer, Citizen Cope, Vanessa Carlton. And now he has a consulting business that touches nearly every angle of the arts. And it probably had a, was hard hit last year as well, like everybody else in the whole arts community suffered along with us. But he's here today to help us learn from him how to make ourselves 10Xers. So Michael, thank you for being my guest today. Thanks so much for having me. I have to say, listening to that bio, I was kind of excited to hear what that person had to say. <laughs> You're like, wow, he's so incredible. <laughs> I know. It's it's. Uh, who are you talking about? Um, no, it's it's fun. You know, when you get to the, be this age, hopefully you've got some stuff under your belt because but more, more time is behind me than in front of me. So yeah, you know, it's so fun. I love reading people's bios. In fact, yours yours has so much more that I could have added to it. It's, so it's really phenomenal. But I love to highlight things that really not only catch people's attention, but remind us that we all have these pieces. Like you said, you know, as you go through your career, we all have magnificent things that we've done or incredible people that we've been around. And when we see that and we recognize it and we really embrace it, it's it can really build us up, especially on the days when it's tough. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be things like, you know, sort of celebrity driven. There are, you know, there are so many things that we do in our lives that can really build us up, whether, you know, I have, there's a woman who lived in the building that I lived in for most of my life, who just helped her neighbor for 
15 years, live, live out her old age and die. They were not related, but she treated her like wow. a relative. And to be able to walk around and carry that with you is yeah. a beautiful thing. And that's not something that goes on somebody's bio and it doesn't get introduced. And that's true. You, know, you, you just look for these moments to, to feel powerful and important in the world for yourself. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really amazing too. I mean, you're absolutely right. And we'll get to talking about your business in just a second. But as you were saying that, I was thinking about when I was growing up, we had a little old lady, Mrs. Holvin. She lived next door to us. And she, um, by the time I was old enough to understand, I realized that all of her family had passed and she was actually a Holocaust survivor, which I didn't know until much, much later. I don't know how she ended up in Spokane, Washington, but my parents then just kind of took care of her and she, um, you know, she loved them. And, you know, we just kind of watched her. She always made pies, you know, it was just all these great things, but she had no family, literally no family. Um, but she decided, you know, where she wanted some of her assets to go. And so she allowed my parents to buy her house and then the, you know, the money from the house, they put to the charity she wanted, but um, we still have some of her things, you know, so I, you know, pieces of China and things that I know were Mrs. Holvins and, and just thinking about a legacy where you think maybe it won't even continue on. I'm really proud of my parents for having that relationship and taking care of her, but even more to know that sometimes, you know, those things are going on around you that you have no idea. And this, this actually, I wasn't intentional, but it dovetails so, so much with what we talk about in the book and what we're going to talk about today, which is very much human-centered human management where you're not focusing on these individuals on your team as cogs in the machine that make your machine run, but that they are human beings and that when, um, when managed and treated and recruited in in way that's in, accord, in accordance with their goals and mm. their desires for their life, become so much more than the cog in the machine. They become right. elements. I mean, if you think about just sort of using this as an example, your parents didn't, weren't just a neighbor to this woman. They became her family because they reached out and they leaned in and they saw, I don't want to say an opportunity. Maybe it wasn't an opportunity for themselves. It was an opportunity for her, or it was an opportunity for themselves to do something that was going to feel good for all involved. And mm -hmm. I think that that exists so much in the workplace and there are a lot of people who appreciate that, but what's changed so much is we now have people that demand that and they're not going to yeah. stay with you if you are not providing an environment like that. And they're not even, they won't, won't join you. Um, right. So I, I guess to rewind a second, one of the things that we know in the new world order is we all have to do more with less in a business environment. We yeah. have to be leaner and smarter and get more out of the people we have. We generally have to pay people more than we used to because um, the the supply and demand equation on the top talent is leaning in the direction of the top talent. And mm -hmm. as a result, there's this tremendous opportunity to shift the way you're doing things to be able to get that top talent. And many of the, the competitors that you might have in your industry, if they're not thinking this way, you have a giant competitive edge over them to be able to bring Absolutely. in these top performers. Uh, and it's Absolutely. just by recognizing some of these elements. And you have to, because people are, are expecting it and demanding it now. I mean, I just think about, you know, simple things like um, when my stepdaughter and she works for a very, very big, well-known global company. And when she, um, when they went to working from home, 
She called her boss and said, I know we can't go in the office, but could I have permission to go in my, in the office to get my chair? Because I'm sitting on a, you know, a kitchen table chair and it's hurting my back. And her manager said, Oh my God, why didn't we do that for everybody? Cause they have incredibly great chairs. And she said, look, you know, I've already bought myself a new desk. I don't expect to be reimbursed for that, but could I go get my chair? And that started a movement that they said, if you want to go and get your chair, get your chair. And by the way, right. if you need a better office table, cause we don't know how long this is going to be, you know, let's figure it out. And they made ways to do it. And that simple act of a chair when you're working from home is not so simple anymore. Right. And the act of, in this case, it was driven by, by your daughter, but if the act of a manager, imagine the, the second person, not your daughter, your daughter had the idea, but the second manager who said to their team, does anybody want to come in and get their chair? I want to make sure you're well taken care of at home and we're yes. not developing back problems. Yes. What that would feel like to be on the receiving end of that. And that's yes. the kind of, the kind of management that we're talking about. And it's not, this is not about coddling. I don't like, sometimes people think that this, everything that we're about is sort of pandering to people's diva instincts. That's not where I'm coming from at all. Quite right. the opposite. One of the people we interview in the book is Daniel Lubetsky who founded Kind Snacks, which are oh yeah, the kind bars that you see everywhere. They're, they're ubiquitous at this point. And he named the company that very intentionally. And one of the things he talks about is the difference between being nice and being kind. Mm. Um, and to be an employer and to do it right, you are kind. And the, the, one of the distinctions he makes uh, or examples he used, and I've heard this, I've heard this from others, is if, you're, if, if you and I were sitting here having this conversation and I had spinach in my teeth, teeth it is not nice for you to tell me that I have spinach in my teeth. It does not make me feel good, but it is kind because I would right. rather know that and fix it than not know it. And that's right. sort of an easy distinction in my mind for, for what I mean by this. So there's two places I want to go from here. One is during the pandemic in, in service of these ideas, um, what we did, because this is a question that comes up a lot, uh, to take care of our team was we added a, a weekly check-in meeting on Zoom that was not work-related. There was no agenda. It was on Mondays. It was to see everybody's weekend was. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to say a mental health check-in. I'm not a mental health professional, but just mm -hmm. checking on people and seeing how they were doing. And then we mm -hmm. added meditation twice a week by Zoom that was voluntary. And we also added monthly one-on-ones between myself and, and, and the people on our, on our team who are directly interfaced with me. And all of these things were in service of the fact that we're humans, we're now isolated, this isn't gonna go on yeah. forever, but we need to do things differently and we need to not just act as though everything's normal. Right. Conversely, I heard about a company who did their first meeting six weeks into the pandemic, this was an entertainment company, and they called the meeting without giving any indication of what the agenda was and oh. nobody knew what was going on. So people didn't know if they were gonna be fired or what it was. Oh, and then they right. got on the call and it was really a very social check-in-y call, but there was no, there was never anybody saying that's what we're doing. So everybody just, right. the anxiety was- Yes, the panic. Was, yeah. And the other place that I wanted to go with this is, you know, in our book, we talk a lot about these 10Xers, which are the top performers. And just to give a quick definition, these are people who provide 10 times the value of their peers. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but honestly, we mm -hmm. have seen this and, and have used cases of where that happens. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think if most- most people think about it for a minute. They they have run into these people who are just astounding. 
one of the things that we did in, in thinking about the book was we looked at a career managing talent across entertainment and more specifically musicians, music producers, filmmakers, and eventually entrepreneurs. And then we moved over and we started managing tech talent and started this agency called 10X Management for very high level freelance tech professionals. And what were the through lines? What was the common thread that happened with all top performers across all industries, which is really the, the reason that we wrote the book was we thought, oh, there's some really interesting observations here. And one of the things that we realized as we started doing this is the same thing that 10Xers want and that have, they've been wanting for a while is actually really what millennial and Gen Z also wants. Um, in many instances, there's, there's definitely places where they diverge, but it's very interesting when you think about you. So some listeners may be thinking, oh, I don't have the money to hire the top best people in the world. Okay, you know, I, I would argue that it's not all about money and that if you find the right way to entice them, that there's many other ways to get them in the door and we'll, we'll come back to that. Absolutely. But even if you're not hiring them and you're hiring millennials and Gen Zs, there's so much overlap between what these, these cohorts or these groups want that you have to sort of that in as you, as you look at, at how to bring people in, how to manage them and how to retain them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and I'm happy to, you know, depending on how granular you want to get, get into some of those things, but the, the, the biggest ones are, are their personal mission and, and mm-hmm. what they value in the world and how they see themselves and how does your job fit into that. Yeah. And then the secondary one is, they have career aspirations. And if you're not able to offer them some path toward their career goals, they're probably going to be looking, if they're not looking yet, they're going to be looking for someone someone else that will pretty soon. I agree. And I think um, one of the things now I'm, I'm hearing it called uh, the great resignation. And it was something that I kind of predicted just based on what I was hearing from my clients and um, and and my uh, you know past clients, current and past clients over the last few months is that, you know, everyone knew there was this some sort of unsettled uh, nature within their organization. So before we knew when we may be able to go back to work, <clears throat> you know, many people, to your point, especially that first meeting, you know, we're all for the first couple of months, everybody's waiting to get a pink slip because there were a lot of pink slips and there were a lot of people whose futures were, you know, up in, up in the air. So those that didn't lose their jobs, held their jobs, put their heads down to not be noticed, to get done everything they needed to do, um, to just make it through, <clears throat> excuse me. And what I'm, what I was predicting months ago now, I think we're starting to see is people are saying, okay, now that I'm no longer afraid for my job, now I want to make sure I'm in the right job. And do I have all these things that align with what I really accomplished because, or want to accomplish because this last year has taught me that there's different things that I want now than maybe I wanted a year ago, or maybe I did want them, but I didn't want it bad enough. And now I know what's really important. So it'll be interesting to see for me, what happens over the next, I'd say six to nine months where people are, you know, quietly looking and they're finding those opportunities and they're moving and the companies that aren't aware of it are going to lose some really good people and are going to be in a lurch. But, you know, there's others that hopefully are paying attention and saying, what can we be asking now? What can we be paying attention to now to keep top talent or to really, you know, attract top talent, but to really keep the people that are here, you know, those ones that maybe don't want to be the 10 Xers, but they are the, you know, the solid people we can count on. How do we keep the people we need 
to keep our company solid as well as to grow. And it's, it's going to take some really big, difficult conversations on the part of leadership, I think. I'm so glad you brought that up. We're actually finishing up a post about what we believe is going to be a tsunami of job churn in the next six mm -hmm. to nine months. Um, yeah. It's not, not out there yet, or I'd be referencing. Oh, look at how brilliant. We're on the yes. same wavelength. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think you've got, you've got all of the factors that you just stated, plus you have a really hot job market right now yeah. and lots of opportunity and everybody's hiring. So there's, there's just room to move. And you have people who did soul searching during the pandemic in ways, a lot of people did that already, but in, in many ways, there were a lot of people who really started to think about what am I doing with my life? This, you know, I may not live forever. How do I want right. to spend my time? And the result of all of those market forces is going to be a lot of people leaving jobs and moving around. And, you know, for HR leaders or entrepreneurs, this is a moment to be to brace for it and get ready. I heard, which I can't, I, I don't have the source, so I, I don't consider it to be fact, but I will share it anecdotally. I heard that there are 10,000 open HR jobs in San Francisco right now, HR wow. jobs. So forget about being able to hire people. You're not gonna have the people to hire the people that you need to hire. Yeah, that's, wow. that's an astounding number. And you know, this serves my business 10X management very well because People are not going to be able to fill roles and they're going to need to come to companies like ours for freelancers, not mm -hmm. because a freelancer may be the best choice, which is often the case. And that's a whole other conversation, but because they may not have choices at this point. Right, I mean, absolutely. We, we are already being flooded with demand like we've never seen before in 10 years of this business. Um, yeah. And that's just, you know, the beginnings of coming out of this. So I'm I'm excited for sort of the, the economy and the change. And I'm also cautiously nervous for business leaders and business owners who aren't preparing themselves for this. Absolutely. And, and I think to the point of, of where people are on their missions, one of the things that I hope to see change in hiring practices and we haven't seen happen yet is typically when a company wants to hire an individual, they obviously interview them and figure out if there's a skills fit, they might be smart enough to figure out if there's a culture fit. And then they generally ask one question before they make an offer. Mm -hmm. What is your salary requirement? They used to ask, what are you making? You can't, that's illegal in many can't places. Ask that anymore, ask. Yeah. Can't, mm -hmm. can't ask that in most states. So they ask, what is your, what is your salary requirement? Or maybe even what is your comp requirement? I'd like to put it out there that that's not really where you want to start. Right. We built a tool which is available and online called, called the lifestyle calculator. And we, I can share a link with you for that, where it has the 24 different attributes that go into a job life slash compensation package ranging from, and they're not all relevant in every instance, but ranging from salary and equity and bonuses to continuing education, mm -hmm. um, uh, flexibility of where you work, flexibility of hours, um, all, all kinds, 24 of them, I'm not gonna go through them all. And you get a hundred points to distribute amongst those things. And when somebody is done filling that out, we now know what they care about across the board and what their priorities are. So we might be able, I've seen this in reality, we also, our, our third business is helping high level tech professionals negotiate full-time job offers. So I, I mm -hmm. live in this world. Yeah. And we've seen companies pay far less money for somebody than, than another company would have had to pay because they offered them some of these other things. Mm -hmm. So back in, back going back five minutes, it would have been, oh, you wanna work from home on Friday? Sure, no problem. 
that just saved somebody that saved an employer $10,000 because some other company who was going to pay more wouldn't give them that. And they wanted yes. work-life balance in a different yeah. way. It's and so funny. Cause yeah. Cause just this morning, I actually, on our YouTube channel, I released the first of a two-part video where I talk about negotiating from the job offer. And it's so incredible to me how many people used to, but, but still do they're hesitant, you know, cause they don't realize, you know, that you can ask for things. You should ask for things. It tells an employer something about you, whether you ask for things or not, it tells the values. And I love the fact that you could use something like this just right up front to understand somebody's values and what's important. It will help with the process, make it easier oh, on everybody. Yeah. Oh, I mean, if I sat on the other side of the table and was doing hiring all day long, I would make either use ours or make my own version of this. And before I made an offer, I would go through and I'd be like, am I hitting on this thing that's important to them? Am I hitting on this? Am I explaining to them, you know, vacation policies are not all equal. If somebody's, mm -hmm. if vacation is really important to somebody, explaining to them, not only do we give you four weeks of vacation, but if you don't use it, we pay you for it or it rolls over. Like, right. if you know that's important to somebody, explain that. I, yeah. I mean, I do this all the time. Nobody explains their, their policy. The new thing is we have an unlimited paid time off policy. That's wonderful in theory. And then, yep. and most people don't know to ask this. You have to ask, are people actually able to use it? How, right. how much time does the CEO take off? What is the culture? What's the average amount of time people, because having, having an unlimited amount of anything that you can't access is not really so, so unlimited. Right. Sounds great. Except yeah, for you, exactly. You, but culture tells you that if you do, you're going to be shunned. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and these are all the things that, you know, uh, there was, there was one company we negotiated with and we got them to change the option length for the equity, which was a really positive thing for the person they were hiring. And they wouldn't have gotten him without that. And I, at the end of this process, I explained to them, I said, this is a wonderful thing you've done. It's not bad for your company and it's gonna be great for hiring, but it's only gonna be great for hiring if you actually explain to people you're hiring that this is the way you do it because not everybody knows to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break here from our sponsor. We're gonna be back. We're gonna talk about a few more things because we could obviously talk about this forever. So we'll be right back. Imagine starting a long journey without a map or even a clear idea of the obstacles ahead. That's exactly what it's like for entrepreneurs who start companies with a lot of passion, but without the financial expertise to grow and scale their businesses and create long-term wealth for their families. Find a financial advisor who can help you map a better journey. Wayne Titus shows you how in his book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being. With the right advisor at your side, you'll have the freedom to focus on what really matters to you. Get the Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being at Amazon.com and in the virtual bookstore on the Shock Your Potential app. And we are back with Michael Solomon. I don't know, our conversation has just been so organic and I've loved it because there's so much in here. So I'm going to throw it off just a little bit because here's my other prediction that I have, and I want to know what you think of it. So my theory also is, is that leaders are going to face a unique challenge that they haven't yet. And that is going to be how many businesses operate in a hybrid mentality or modality. So those that were great leaders before, you know, lockdown and remote work might not have been great leaders in a remote environment, or they might've, so we don't know. So you got one of two, right? Then you've got people who weren't great leaders to begin with, 
who either were or weren't great leaders in a remote environment. And now you have this new element that many people are going to face, which is hybrid. And that's not just for the, you know, the direct leader, that's for the HR, that's for, you know, the rest of the team to understand who's in, who's out, you know, and do you make them feel in and out? Um, and, you know, when we're looking at these environments, my theory is that we are going to see probably the biggest um, challenge for leaders who might have been good leaders otherwise, that in this new environment that we don't know how to navigate. We didn't know how to navigate remote very well, but people adjusted and figured out ways to survive. But I think there's going to be a lot of companies that have some sort of hybrid uh, modality to them. And I think that's going to require something different from, from leaders than we've talked about ever before. But that's my thought. What are any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. My favorite line at some moment in the pandemic was Andrew Yang saying, we just went through 10 years of change in 10 weeks because oh, this, yeah. the shift to, to remote was so sudden and so, so forced. And so, and for some companies, I mean, I can tell you our, our company and we're not a huge company, it was a breeze. We were already set up for people. Like we were, we live in the cloud. There was, there was, there was mm -hmm. almost the, the, literally the biggest challenge was figuring out mail forwarding, which didn't work so well, but that was, <laughs> that was the extent of, of what we had to navigate in terms of what it looks like as we go back. I think the upside is if you're a better manager remote or you're a better manager in person, hybrid is going to give you the ability to sort of succeed either way, because you can, yeah. you'll have both both options. I think the biggest challenge is for companies who want to go back to the way things were. Yeah. Um, and I really would caution leaders about attempting to do that. And if you're going to do that, I would do it incredibly gradually. Um, yeah. You know, kind of think of, think of the, the pot with the frog in it. If the heat rises slowly, the frog doesn't mm -hmm. jump out. Um, right. And that's not to say that I think it should get back to where it was. That's not what I'm getting at, but if that's your goal, if you do it all at once, you're gonna just watch that mass exodus that we were we were talking about moments ago yeah. hit you harder. Yeah. And I think the hybrid version is where where we need to end up. And I also think that it's not when we talk about hybrid, I meant remote versus in office. But I think mm -hmm. that all, there's more nuance to this than that because there are certain teams and certain kind of performers who really are better off in one or another environment. So That's a creative cool. team that has to collaborate and, and ideate and do all of that work, much harder to do it remotely, much harder to do it when you're not feeling connected to a person, which is harder to do in, in a video format. On the other hand, when you have an individual contributor who might be a designer or a developer or even a writer who yes. is able to get into a flow state and when they're not disrupted and they're in their right environment, where they can be two, three, five, six times more productive in the same hour than they would be when somebody taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, I'm sorry, can I ask you a question? And yes. they get knocked out of the flow state and takes two hours to get back. <laughs> Those people might be way better off working at home four days a week and being in an office one day a week versus the other being the inverse. And I think that leaders need to contemplate not just, are we coming back or are we going to hybrid or are we... And, and it really is more nuanced than that. And this is where there's a chapter in, in the book called The Bespoke Boss, where you have to know your people, how they work. Mm -hmm. You have to know the function and you have to manage to where people are. The, the days of have it on my desk at 3.30, I don't care that your kid has a soccer game or whatever the right. sort of like, 
that, those people are not hanging out anymore. They're gone. Mm -mm. No. Um, so. I think that's really um, great. What I was thinking about as you were talking about is what a great opportunity for companies now to rethink and to say, okay, so my customer service team may need to be in-house because of the phone banks, because of whatever, um, but my creative team may be able to oper dif op operate differently. How about we talk to them? How about we you know, get some feedback um, and make some decisions based on that. You know, whereas salespeople, you know, there's certain salespeople that work better without ever coming into the office, you know, right. and, uh, and, and, you know, you still have to watch some of those sometimes, but uh, as long as they're producing to your expectations, you know, there's always been a kind of a who cares attitude, but we actually have this opportunity now to rethink how we do business and make it better for the employee, but make it better for the business. It's just like, you know, my whole team, my whole team's based in Kenya. And so, you know, we're either seven or eight hours difference, depending on the time of year, just if I haven't left this time zone. And although we have certain things, like we have, you know, certain meetings that we have, for the most part, I don't care when they get their work done. As long as we've hit okay. our deadlines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't care. If you're a morning person, do it at morning in Kenya. I'm sound asleep. If you're better at midnight, your time, then we can interact, whatever. Um, but it's really exciting for me to think about, you know, as I hire people now to ask them, when do you work most effectively? Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Right. Tell right. me what you know about yourself, because I'd rather tap into your best version of you and, and use that to make you happier and me happier. Absolutely. I mean, that's so spot on. And I think that for leaders who are trying to figure this out, as we were talking, as you mentioned, the, the people on the, the customer service team on the phone bank, presumably those phones can be forwarded anywhere, you know, assuming you've got a decent technology. And there may be people who are better off who want to be in the office because they don't want their kids running around. There may be other people for whom being at home is great. And my question to that leader before you have to decide either or is, what is the price of flexibility? Yeah. And what is the price of rigidity? So yeah. you may decide that there's some cost involved with allowing people the choice. And before you evaluate that cost, what is the cost if you don't do that? If you mm -hmm. require people to do one thing and you lose 10% of your people in one fell swoop, how much is that going to cost you, especially in a, a job market like this? Mm -hmm. And you know, almost every time I do analysis, People satisfaction and keeping the best people wins out over anything else consistently. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instead and, of an, and, you know, in either an or, can you see an and? Right. Either exactly. or an and. Wow, that gives us so many more options. Steve Jobs used to say this great thing, which feels relevant to what we're talking about. I have to do a little, I, I think I need to add some connective tissue, but it did come to mind for this, which is <laughs> we don't hire great people to tell them what to do. We hire great people so they can tell us what to do. Yes. That's human centric management. And no, I'm not suggesting that, that the person who's answering the customer service calls is what Steve was referring to in that particular quote. But that doesn't mean that if you pull your people and you get data that 25% of our people really want to keep working from home and they've been doing it that way and it's been working, again, what's the cost of the rigidity there? Right. Absolutely. And who's it serving? Absolutely. 
Goodness. We could obviously just keep going on and on and on. I love it. I love like-mindedness. I like uh, differences and opinions in minds as well, but this we're, we're on track. And I know we're going to have all your contact information in our show notes, including the link to your book, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, because they can't wait to talk to you, uh, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, there's a few different ways. So gamechangerthebook.com is the website for the book and does have contact information. It also has um, these great quizzes to see how 10x you are and how 10x your company is. So I encourage that. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn and my email address is michael at 10xmanagement.com. So yeah, right. you can get me very directly. How's that? I love it. Well, before we go, Michael, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Oh, I think it's really just about people first. And that, and I don't mean that in service of people. That is in service of your business goals. People first every time. That's yeah. that's really. And if anybody thinks that that's not a business centric way to do business, I'm up for that debate. <laughs> Bring it on. We'll take on that challenge. Michael, it has been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest today. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.